Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast, where we celebrate stories of resilience today. We're with Hunter Woodall, who is a bronze and silver medalist from the Paralympics. I mean, you were literally, you were a kid, so it's going to be interesting to see what you're going to do in the next games. First bilateral amputee to be to have a Division I scholarship at the University of Arkansas, five-time All-American, somebody who's looking forward to Tokyo. So what, what is this like? And, and actually, let's say this up front is that you're at Texas A&M right now at the NCAA mm-hmm. championships or nationals, and you're not competing. You're there as a, as a coach, as a support. But first of all, Hunter, thank you for joining us. And yeah. we look forward to getting a chance to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, the, your intro made me sound a lot cooler than I think I am. So I, I appreciate you. <laughs> well, that's for those of us out here who need to make sure that you know how cool you actually are. And, and, and the funny thing for me is I'm coming from Utah as well. So, so I'm oh, from Park awesome. City, you're from Syracuse, right? So uh-huh. we're in the general vicinity. So if there is any background noise, we apologize to all of you. Hunter is literally on site. He is taking a moment out of a super, super busy time to be able to talk with us. But how have things been as you've approached Tokyo? So Tokyo, I mean, we had crazy, you know, it was postponed for a year, but yeah. what's different? I mean, you were leaving high school when you were yeah. when you competed in Rio. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of things that are different. I think, you know, first and foremost, as you mentioned, just having everything with COVID happen and and the postponement of the games and kind of having to, you know, rethink the cycles and how you're training and, and really how you're planning for this, this big event at the end of the year was, was a really big challenge. And then on top of that, like you said, it's just like, I'm in a totally different life phase. I'm in a totally different place. And it's just been, you know, uh, a whole different experience. And for me, I would say it's, it's more positive than anything. Um, that's just me, you know, being more experienced, being more comfortable with the process and, and kind of obviously being more comfortable on the track as an athlete. Uh, so just looking forward to Tokyo, you know, I'm super excited. I think training is going well. And with this year not being in the NCAA, I was able to cycle my season more to benefit uh, you know, later in the season rather than early for indoor NCAAs and, and outdoor as well. So can you tell people what that means, cycling your season? I think you're talking about like peaking for the Paralympics, right? Yeah, definitely. So coming into a season, there's, there's different cycles or different sections of the season in which you're training different parts of your body or different energy systems. Um, so early in the season, you're building a base, which is kind of fall training. Going to be doing a lot of volume, a lot of longer reps, um, shorter rests and really just building up kind of like the stamina, I would say. And then as you get later into the season, you're starting to work more speed and technical stuff. And when you're in the NCAA, it's like you're peaking in March for indoor NCAAs. You're peaking again, you know, two weeks from now, which is the NCAA championships. And then you're trying to peak two weeks after that for trials. And then you try to peak again for the games. So it just, it sounds like a lot because it is a lot and it's just, trying to time your body and make sure you're healthy throughout that entire process is extremely difficult. Um, so when you're, you're not in the NCAA and you're able to focus on 
okay, I need to peak only at USA's, make the Tokyo team, and then really peak and perform at Tokyo. Do you know your body that well right now? Because, I mean, this has been quite a trajectory for you, right? Like in, in middle school, everybody beat you. Right. Yeah. You, were, you yeah. were the last kid. And then all of a sudden, by the time you're finishing high school, you were beating everybody else. But do you really know who you are as an athlete? And, and are you able to predict kind of that timing and when you want to peak? I think there's there's a few things that go into it. First is just trusting in the process and trusting in kind of the team that you've surrounded yourself with. That's coaches, that's medical staff, that's, you know, everyone who's kind of in that circle is helping you get to where you need to be. And then secondly, yeah, is being extremely in tune with your body. Um, and that's not necessarily just something that's, you know, instinctive in an athlete. It's something that you really have to be conscious about and really like dig into and say, okay, how's my body feeling and why is it feeling this way? Because uh, a lot of times it's easy to assess, hey, I don't feel good. But then answering that question of why and how do I fix it is the important part. And I think, you know, as I've gotten older and as I've matured, I've learned to do that better. Uh, but every season is different, you know, every week is different and you kind of got to continue learning and continue growing and, and really just making the best of, of whatever the situation is. And, um, for us, we always have a saying of like, uh, I'm never feeling good during the season, but I'm feeling better than I was before. So it's always about just feeling a little bit better. Uh, you're never really going to be hundred percent in this sport. So, well, that's kind of the nice part I would imagine of racing in division one is that you have a group of people, right? I mean, you were thrown from racing in the Paralympics to racing against a lot of people who will go to the trials and hopefully go to Tokyo as well. Mm -hmm. How did that change going from racing in high school, racing in the Paralympics to racing in, in division one? How did that, how did that progression work for you? Yeah. I mean, each stage was so different for me. And I think, you know, they each had their, you know, parts that I really loved and parts that were a little more difficult to learn. Um, and for me, like high school was kind of just learning to become the athlete I am today and learning to, you know, grow and, and really find out where I am and track and, and who I want to be, the events I want to do and then get strong in us. And then the Paralympics was kind of the, the time for me to prove all of the work that I've talked about. Like you said, the, the, the journey of going from junior high and, and losing to everyone to fighting all the way up to, you know, being able to compete competitively on, you know, a state national level. And then getting to college, it was like, okay, you went through this whole thing. You finally got to the top. And now it's like, you get thrown right back in at the very, very bottom. And you're competing against, you know, some of the best athletes in the world. And um, that's actually why I chose to come to the SEC. It's the most competitive conference in the nation. And um, I think to be the best, you got to beat the best. So it's just surrounding myself in that, you know, um, just environment of competing and getting better and, and running really, really fast. Mentally, how did that work for you? Did each day of training feel like the biggest competition of your life, like having to prove yourself at training every day? I think freshman year, definitely. I think you walk in with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder as a freshman and and that's really where you kind of, you know, show who you are for the rest of your four years or however long you're at that um, program, that university. So I think getting in there and showing that, you know, you belong with, with this caliber of athlete and you can hold your own is extremely important. And that's really where you gain respect from your teammates, your coaches and your staff. And I think it's, you know, a, a big part of your success moving forward. What was that like from your teammates and your coaches were they, you know, a little bit skeptical at first? Like, because I mean, you're the first, 
you're the first amputee to do this, right? So they're looking at you going, all right, what do we make of this guy? How did that process yeah. Yeah, I think just like you said, I mean, at first it was a little bit of a, of, you know, kind of a gray area. Like, how do we figure this out? And I think especially for my coaches trying to figure out how to train me and what I was capable of and, and how hard they could push me. Um, but I really tried to come into the program with the, the mindset of, hey, I'm just like anyone else. I'd like to be treated as so. And I plan to work harder than anyone here. And I'm going to earn everything that I have. So I think very quickly, you know, like I said, we go back to that just you, you show who you are as a person and, you know, people kind of get that really quickly. And then I think people kind of see past, Oh, he's got no legs. And now it's all right. This is another guy who's here doing the same things. as Was it hard to, 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 you know, what was the pushback with you being an amputee to competing in division one? Cause I mean, we've seen like Pistorius had to, had to lobby to compete in the Olympics and you're getting a chance to compete against the best in the world it does it's not exactly the olympics but you're competing against yeah. the same people it mm -hmm. seems like in some ways from what i've read it was an easier an easier step than than trying to lobby to get into the olympics is that true or not uh, i would say in some ways yeah and i think the biggest reason for it being an easier process is because of everything that oscar went through um so in a lot of ways i think oscar kind of paved the road to make that process more natural and more you know easy for us to do uh and we still had to go through a lot of the same testing a lot of the same appeals and each year we have to you know go through the same appeal process um to make sure that i'm you know able to run and then to make sure that i'm within the regulations set forth by the ipc which has then been adopted by the ioc um so as long as you know you're, you're following the rules you're competing in a way that is is you know fair as as far as the rules say and and i think there's always going to be controversy there's always going to be two sides of the story but i think the overall um kind of response has been you know a respect for for what i do and who i am and and the people who are in the opposition you know i mean it's it's just one of those things it's kind of part of part of the job so um just kind of try to you know overlook that and focus more on the, on the positive side of things well, it's funny when Oscar was going through that whole process. My first thought was, one, I don't, I don't, I'm glad I'm not the one who has to make this decision. Yeah. And two, it's so cool that this argument is actually happening, right? That there's, this, you know, that that our poor old guy is is running too fast and beating and beating your guys. So so people are bringing it in court, right? Yeah. Okay, this is kind of cool. What is, so the regulations, you were talking about the regulations, what are the regulations that you have to adhere to in order to qualify for the NCAAs and then also for the Paralympics? Yeah, so the biggest one is, is something called MASH, which is just max allowable standing height. Um, and I mean, one of the biggest arguments with prosthetics and, and kind of the, the flip of the coin of is it an advantage or not is the length of your prosthetics. I mean, it's it's pretty simple. The the formula to running fast and speed is frequency times stride length. So, especially for someone who is shorter in stature, if you can keep the same frequency and then lengthen your stride length, I mean, naturally you're just going to run faster. So, um, that's the biggest thing. Is there's just a calculation to to basically um, determine how tall you can be when you're in your running prosthetics. And um, other than that, there's also regulations on what kind of blades and what kind of technology you can be running on um, to make sure that, you know, everyone is kind of on the same playing field. And for me, there's been a lot of 
new advancements and new blades and things that have been introduced to the market, but I have, I have kind of stayed on an older blade, the same one I've been running on since high school. And it just kind of keeps it simple for me. It makes the process easier. I don't have to go and re, um, you know, go through all this whole process. And it's more of, Hey, any progress you see, anything you see is, has came out of the training I've done and the things I've done. And I can prove it because nothing has changed from when I was running 58 seconds in high school to now running, you know, 46 seconds. So it's all, it's all a result of, you know, the work that we've put in. Which is exactly what you want, right? It's not about the equipment. It's about the work that you're putting in. And it, it basically, it's sort of like Da Vinci's Vitruvian man, right? Is, is how they're determining how long your legs can be based on yeah. sort of the wingspan and mm -hmm. extrapolating that to what it means for your legs. How much, stronger do you feel as you're approaching Tokyo than you were in Rio as a result of, of the training, as a result of the competition that you've gone through? I think uh, more than anything, mentally, I'm, I'm way stronger. I'm just so much more comfortable, like I said, with the process and everything that comes along with, you know, the Paralympic and Olympic Games. I think oftentimes when you get there, you can be uh, blinded by everything else that's going on rather than the race and kind of being able to calm yourself down and realize like at the end of the day, I'm here to run a race and this is a track meet um, is the biggest thing. So I think I can kind of look past some of the, the more, uh, you know, flashy things that come along with the games and focus on just getting around the track. And then as a strength perspective, I mean, the last four years, I've just become a student of the sport and learning. And, and this is the first year of my life I've actually been able to cycle for a, a, a games rather than through, you know, multiple seasons. So um, confidence is, is through the roof going into Tokyo. Well, as, as it should be, is it, is it disappointing to a certain extent that the guy that you were chasing in Rio has retired? Uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm proud of Liam. I love Liam. And, and that's one of those things. It's like, you got to make the decision that's best for you. And I, you know, it's a cliche, but quit while you're ahead is is i think rings true in this situation so um at the end of the day regardless of who i'm racing you know it's it's me and elaine and and if i go out there and i, I do the best i can like i'm gonna be happy walking away um and i know that sounds silly like i'm still you know in the mindset of hey i'm gonna win this thing but at the end of the day like you can only do what you can do and i know the preparation i know the work that i've put in up to this point and uh you know, whoever wants to get in the way and let me chase them, I'm fine. doesn't matter who it is. So. Or they might be chasing you. Hopefully so. <laughs> that's, that's the intention. What will you yeah. run in Tokyo? Which events? I'm running the 400. That's my premier event. And then uh, I thought these guys were running a little slow, so I decided to run the 100 and see what I could do, uh, which is not an event I've ever ran, but um i'm excited about it and they took the two out for the double amputees so i'm going to try my uh, uh try my luck at a shorter event so i think i'm going to surprise some people so 100 and 400 will you run the relay as well i'm not sure on the relay they won't pick the relay until uh, i think later in the game so we'll see and this this year it's going to be a universal relay um so it'll be four different classes i think you have to have a visually impaired athlete, a CP athlete, an ambulatory athlete, which is somebody with an amputation, and then a wheelchair athlete. So you have to have one from each, and it's mixed. So they totally flipped it on its head. So I'm not exactly sure what to expect. A um, little disappointed on that decision, but 
um, yeah, you get it. Well, cause, cause watching you, cause you've had some, some great runs like as an anchor man in the, in the four mm -hmm. by 100. And that looks like it is at least as enjoyable, if not more enjoyable than your individual events. Definitely hurts less than a 400. That's for sure. Uh, but no, I've always been a big fan of the relays, whether it's in high school, college, whatever level, like the relays are one of the favorite things about track. And it's one of the few times where you actually get to kind of involve that team aspect when you're actually competing. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a blast. Well, it's a little bit different than it is like when you were running in high school and also when you were running in college too, because college, that's where you were an all American, right? It was in the four by 400. Yeah. And that's when you know that you as a team have to score points. And this mm -hmm. is your opportunity to score points where, where you know, you're on the US team at the Paralympics, but it's not quite, they're not putting up a, a point tally at the end yeah. of the medal count. So it's yeah. just one time that you probably can be. Yeah, and, and one of, I mean, with relays in the games, it's like, I mean, not so few people in the world get to kind of have that, privilege of having you know a medal around their neck and it's like in that race it's no longer just about you it's like you have to kind of step up to the plate and do what you need to do for everyone else in that in that space you know to to kind of experience that together and to bring home a medal like that uh it, it just means a whole lot i think there's a lot more emotion that goes into those relays sometimes um good or bad obviously we've had some less than ideal luck Oh, relays are yeah relays it seems like it's 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 never over until all the protests are in after the relay. yeah yeah that's what we've learned really quickly and germany is a bunch of sticklers i like my friends from germany but yeah so hopefully uh this year we'll we'll make sure they no one has an excuse uh for for whatever happens for the end result is can you talk us through what you do like the 400 is really your big event can you talk us through how that works the the different parts of the race for you definitely yeah uh we really break it down into um uh, three or four general sections the first part is obviously the start which is kind of where i would say i struggle the most um and the biggest thing is that we teach is in the first 50 meters of a race it doesn't really matter how fast you're pushing out, you're going to use the same amount of energy. Uh, it's ATP. So we really try to attack that curve. Um, and me competing with able body athletes, one of the biggest advantages they have is the start. So me trying to get myself in an advantageous position through the start will help me out through the rest of the race. So through the, the first 50 meters, which is to the top of the first curve, and then transitioning into the backstretch is really just trying to stand up and be efficient and make the backstretch as fast but easy as possible. Uh, so the goal is always to get to 200 halfway through the race as effortless as possible and still be fast. So um, it's a tricky little, uh, little thing to do, but when you do it right, I mean, a race really comes together. And then coming off the final turn is really just about digging deep and kind of we focus on some key points. So I'll try to mentally tell myself, like, move your arms, get your knees up and really just try to consciously think about what you're doing coming through the home stretch because uh, lactic acid and all that stuff will catch up to you and it's easy to kind of just get through the race rather than you know really try to execute what you're doing so now in the start you start with one foot in the block and one foot sort of in front of the block and and what is it your left hand up in the air is that right yeah how does that work 
Why, why do you do that? I think I was one of the first amputees to do a three-point stance, and now a lot of them are kind of adapting it. Um, but really, I mean, it just puts me in a better position to run. I mean, getting to college and I was trying to do the four-point stance like a lot of able-bodied athletes, and then, you know, me and the coaches sat down. It's like, I'm not an able-bodied athlete, so I shouldn't be trying to imitate one. Let's find out what works best. And we just did a lot of, of different tests and timings and things for 10 meters, 20 meters, 30 meters, uh, seeing how that acceleration, that push is on the different starts. And for me, it's like the three-point stance just allows me to get in a better position in a drive phase. And I'm not as focused on driving out as an able-bodied athlete who has that ankle and foot as I am is just really trying to get out and trying to get comfortable in my running form. Um, so I stand up a little faster. I'm not down low as long, but it gets me in a better position coming off, um, coming off of the turn and, and getting into the rest of the race. So just, just describe what the difference is between a four point stance and a three point stance, please. Yeah. So like you said, in a three point, I have my right foot on a back block and my left foot is, is more vertical um, just on straight onto the track. And then I have one, one hand, my right hand down on the line. Whereas in a four point stance, you would have both feet in the blocks. Um, and then you would be having both of your hands as well. And for me, a four point stance would be a little more stretched out. So your feet would be a little farther back and I'm a little more, a little more crunched up, a little more tight so I can really get into the running form. In a, in a more efficient way. Okay. And your, your right hand then is, is the hand that's on the line on the start mm -hmm. or right, right in front of the start line. Yeah. And I bring my left arm back. So then there's no wasted energy. The first thing that happens is my right leg goes forward and my left leg also, or my left arm also goes forward. So that, that running position is already started rather than if both hands are on the ground, now my hands have to come off the ground to go up rather than just starting into the full movement. Oh, interesting. Okay, so when I was watching that, I thought it was more of a balance thing that you were holding your hand up in the air. Yeah, it, it's a little bit of everything. It's a more comfortable position, but one of the biggest things is just like, right when that gun goes off, then there's that cue. Arm comes up, knee comes up. I mean, you can't really do one without the other. So having it kind of in a more cohesive little package helps out a lot. Well, and this is a lot of what you've studied too, right? This is, this is about the efficiency of running. And you think of 400 meters, you just kind of gut it out. But there are so many individual elements that you have to do well and do properly and efficiently in order to, you know, in order to be yeah. able to run fast and have hopefully have something in that last 100 meters as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's, it's, you can only get so far with kind of just the, the wing and approach and, and see how it goes. So really, like I said, becoming a student of the sport, really just studying um, helps out a lot. So what, what are you running? What are you running for times these days? Um, so like I said, my, my season has been stretched out a little bit. So I haven't been running as many races as I would have at this time. Um, but I've only ran one 100 as, as like through a training meet and I ran 11.0, uh, which I was super happy with. And then I ran 47.1 in the 400, which again is, is really good for where we're at right now with, with little to no speed. So um, I think I'm in a really great form and getting into you know, the end of this month. By speed, you mean speed training right now, right? Speed training. Yeah, exactly. So we've, like I said, we've been really focusing on volume and, and um, strength. So like in the 47.1 race, I, I was split 
you know, through the 200, like 23 seconds, and then almost, you know, coming close to even splitting. Whereas normally when I'd be running, I'd be coming through 21 high, 22 low, and then there'll be a one to two second, um, you know, slower 200 on the second 200. So um, it really shows my strength and where I'm at as far as, you know, um, my, you know, fitness, but we got to get that speed in there. And like I said, get to that 200 a little more efficiently, a little faster. Right. So you get the speed and then, and then you have the strength to withstand that piano on your back when you come off the exactly. on there, right? Yeah, exactly. So what, what are the goals on the, on the speed side of it or on the time side of it? Right. So, so you've got world record on the able-bodied side is what, 4303? Mm -hmm. And then Oscar's gone 4539. Yeah, and I think unofficially 4507. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I know he's ran it. I don't, I don't know if they qualified it, but when they switched the new, to the new mash rule, even though Oscar would have been under that rule, the, the world record's reset. So I think currently it sits at uh, 45.6 or 45.8, somewhere around there, um, which is definitely a target where I feel comfortable that I'll be at it and hopefully, you know, below that. But you haven't run that yet though. No, not yet. No. And it was tough because last year, again, we didn't have an outdoor season. So uh, we missed out on a whole entire year of outdoor, which is where, you know, I do the best, where I feel most comfortable. So this is kind of, you know, catching up on where we were at last year. So, you know, and and I feel like I've done you a disservice in the uh, in your introduction because I was talking specifically just about your athletic prowess, but you have a, a tremendous voice within within the community as well. I mean, you did a TikTok where you described how you lost your legs and what a five and a half million million views. What 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 pushed you to to open yourself up to that to that vulnerability, really? I've just really always been um, kind of, I shouldn't say always, I should say kind of as I've, as I've grown up and matured and realized like maybe more of why I'm in this position and, and why the things that have happened in my life have and, and learned that I can use it to inspire others and, and help in their lives. I've wanted to have a voice. I've wanted a reason to be able to, you know, connect with people and, and social media has been kind of uh, the avenue for me to do that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all been out of chance. I think I've just been, um, lucky and I'm really thankful that people can kind of connect with the way that I, I share my story and I, I share, uh, stories. And for me, like having a way to make other people feel comfortable with my situation, I hope in turn will make them feel comfortable with whatever is going on in their lives. Um, so, you know, through comedy or, or kind of lighthearted jokes or often pointed back at myself, you know, I, I kind of try to accomplish that and I don't know, it's just kind of been, I just, I don't know, I really, really enjoy it. Did you come to it naturally? It, it, did it feel comfortable to you to be able to get out and tell that story and be self-deprecating and those kinds of things? I think it, it definitely took time to do it in a way that was digestible for others and, and the way that connected with other people. I think um, as I was growing up, I tried a lot of different things and a lot of times it didn't work, but I mean, like most things in my life, consistency is, is key and just kind of continuing to push and continuing to learn and get better has, has always been um, a big part of, of you know, the success that I've found. So um, I would say, you know, in a way, well, is, did, did you find some of that? Because, I mean, you're homeschooled, right, for a while and yeah. then started 
started going to school and being a bit of an outlier, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's nobody else like you in your school. Did you start developing those skills like survival type skills as a fifth grader? Yeah, I think I think I, I lacked those skills in fifth grade, uh, which is when I went to public school and I actually went through a lot of bullying in fifth and sixth grade. And I think it was just because I didn't, I mean, for more than one reason, obviously it's not just my fault, but I think one of the reasons was I wasn't able to kind of make people comfortable with the situation that I was in. So going into, you know, junior high and high school, that's I think where I started to learn those skills and I started to figure out ways of like, okay, if I can make somebody laugh about me and, and make them kind of share that moment with me and say, Hey, it's okay. Like it's, it's all right. I'm comfortable with this. You can be comfortable with this. It's like, then people can look past, Oh, this guy has no legs and, and see that the human that's behind that. So um, I think, yeah, it's, it's kind of where I developed it is just being around other people and, and really trying to make myself feel comfortable with this situation. Which oftentimes is the hardest part, right? Because you've, you know, you're hoping that they're comfortable, the other people are comfortable, but you have to be comfortable in order for them to be comfortable. Did you have any, any kind of an inspiration when you, when you're creating this comedy, you know, you're, you're going through and you're creating this guy. It's like, did, did you find a way to be funny through following anybody else or was it all on your own? I mean, I definitely wouldn't say it's all on my own. I think I found inspiration through a lot of different, you know, places and sources and, um, I think it was just kind of a culmination of everything. And I just kind of found my voice through that. I don't think there's anyone specific, um, but yeah, it was just, you know, like I said, I would keep learning and say, hey, people really connect with, with this thing. Or people really connect with this direction I take things. And then I would just kind of keep um, building on that. And it, it's not like something that was like this mastermind plan where I was just like writing things down. It was more just like a natural, like escalation. Hey, maybe, maybe that area is too far. Maybe people don't really vibe with that. So let's, let's kind of switch it up. But um, yeah, I think it was just a natural progression of, of me. And um, I've always kind of had a, a sense of humor and I've, I've been a little bit sarcastic or uh, just a little, I don't know, uh, goofy. So it kind of fits into to who I am, I think. Well, and then sports were the thing that in a lot of ways changed, changed your trajectory too, didn't they? Definitely. I think for me, finding sports was first a way to kind of feel comfortable with who I am and get in a position. And then when I got good at sports, like in a very honest way, like that is where I found my confidence. And as I got better at my sport and people could see me as Hunter Woodhall, the athlete, not Hunter Woodhall, the amputee, you know, I became more confident in my identity. And then the fact that I had no legs was like the cool addition to also being a good athlete. And, you know, I kind of fed on that. And I was, you know, my whole life, I was deprived of this respect that I, that I felt I, you know, wanted. And as I kind of gained that respect, you know, it allowed me to understand, you know, my situation and, and really be thankful for the position I've been put in rather than, you know, asking the potential question of like, why me? So... But it wasn't always just track, though, too, right? It was football and you mm -hmm. know, soccer. and Yeah, yeah. I played all different kinds of sports. And I think for me, like, that was that was the journey that I had to do to find out track. And I, I, track was actually the last sport that I that I tried. And, and I think if I hadn't done everything else and I hadn't, you know, kind of experienced all that, I don't think I would have fell in love with track the way I did. So, um, yeah, I think each sport, each, you know, trial that I went through, regardless had kind of pushed me to where I am now what was the uh so 
what was the thing about track that, that really appealed to you? It's the control, like the, the ability to control what happens. It's like with any other sport um, that I played, like it was always up to somebody else, somebody else's discretion. If, if I played or how much I played or, you know, how far they'd want to push me if I was sitting on the bench, whereas track is like, it's you in a lane and, and the clock doesn't lie. Like the clock is the only thing that matters. And, and that is the deciding factor of, of, you know, how good you are at the sport. And, and I really, really appreciated the ability to, you know, control what was going on and not leave it up to somebody else to decide, you know, where I should be or what I should be doing. Well, in a lot of ways, it's the most egalitarian of the sports, right? It's kind of like, mm-hmm everybody everybody in the world can do it they have yeah. has the ability to run yeah exactly it's just it's, a, it's natural it's just yeah the og sport is is there a beauty to the sport as well are you attracted to a beauty in the sport absolutely i think there's something so special about track like you said there's there's nothing to hide behind. There's not a team to hide behind. There's not equipment to hide behind. There's no excuses to hide behind. It's you versus the clock. And I think there's something so like raw about that is it's just like, it's just a pure competition of, of who is, who is literally better at this, this one exact thing, who is faster, who is, who is more equipped to um, compete at this level. So I, I think there's something so raw and so um, just genuine about the sport that I love. Do you bring, I mean, you're telling your story, you're running fast. Do a lot of people come to you and tell you their stories as well? Definitely. I've, I've, especially when I meet somebody in person, I think there's a kind of a natural instinct to kind of share their story and we kind of talk through it. And I think it's just cause like they see my story, they see my life through a screen and they feel connected to me. And then in person, it's like, man, we finally get to like create that connection and share and, and I'm just as interested to hear about, you know, the things that somebody else has been through as, as they are to hear mine. So, um, yeah, it's really special. It's kind of an interesting progression that you've gone through, right? And, and sort of like being on the outside to, to sort of rising to, to a pinnacle I mean, to the point where, where you're making, making a, a fair amount of money off of, off of your celebrity and to the point where you had to leave the NCAA, right? Because, mm-hmm. and which is also just bad timing in some ways too, because it sounds like the NCAA is now going backwards and saying, okay, we might rights to your, to your image and, and an yeah. living. Was that a difficult decision to make? Because in some ways it's like reaching the NCAAs is, is the top competition that you could, that you could possibly get to really. Yeah, it was extremely difficult. And I think we have a lot of things coming up that are going to kind of, you know, change the trajectory of, of that decision. And, and with the rule changes, like there's so many different things going on right now, but at the end of the day, like that decision was made, not necessarily because that's the decision I wanted to make, but in a lot of ways, like the NCAA uh, kind of forced my hand on that. But again, with them kind of backtracking and changing the rules, like there's a lot of different things that, that can be done. We're not sure exactly what direction we want to go, but, it is very interesting and, and more than anything, I'm just happy to see change coming. So can you tell a little bit of the story of, of how how it actually how it actually came to that point? I mean, so how did you go from being a track athlete to a TikTok star to a YouTube star and, and to making uh, making a living off of off of your social media? Yeah, I think it's like I said, it's just 
it's a natural progression, like through, you know, the end of high school until now. I mean, I think we've just been, and I say we, because I, a lot of the social media and YouTube that I do is with my girlfriend Tara and, and we've just kind of been doing it organically and, and genuinely throughout the years. And, um, you know, last year was, was a really big year. I think social media had a big boost. I think I kind of figured out what was going on and we had a really large, like, surge I guess you could say um in like the social media space for us and, and it got to a point where you know the platforms that I had were large enough to monetize um for you know like you said creating a living for myself and and this was at the time when the NCAA season got canceled so we were stuck in quarantine we had nothing really to do we had no word of when the NCAA season was going to come back and at that point it was it was uh how do you survive how do you put food on the table at this point right and we didn't know if there was going to be a next season. So for me, it was like, it seems silly to sit here and just let whatever happened happen when I could be, you know, taking advantage of this, this, you know, in, in essence, uh, business that I've built and, and really like, you know, making the most of it. Yeah. And, and it is a business. I mean, we talked about five and a half million people watching your TikTok about losing your legs what is the 232,000 followers or subscribers on, on YouTube? I mean, it's a, it's, it, it's a, you have a mass of people that are, that are moving and, and, and watching and, and are, are motivated by what you're doing. And to back up just a little bit, your girlfriend is, is an athlete, right? Yep. Yeah. And she's, uh, she's also on track, which makes it a lot easier and a lot more fun. I think, um, and she's actually just broke two collegiate records in the long jump. Um, and she's ranked number one in the world right now for the long jump. And, and she's kind of in the same situation, gearing up for uh, trials in Tokyo. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's good. And, and is she still competing in the NCAAs? Yeah, she competes for University of Texas. She is. So she hasn't had the same, the same sort of legal type issues that you have with the NCAAs? No. Yeah, no, she has not. Um, a lot of it is just the way we set it up. Like I set it up in a way that was like, um, I'm kind of comfortable in the position I'm in and I, I kind of know the, the risks that are associated with what I'm doing. And so everything was kind of run through me, like um, all any payments or anything that was done. And, and I would like to like preface this conversation by saying like any of the brand deals, any money that I made from social media was not linked to me being a track athlete it had nothing to do with me being a student at the university of arkansas the connection that they made was hey you posted this which technically is not a track post but three posts before that you posted a picture of you running so we're going to connect them and say you're making money because of your name image likeness as an athlete um so it was really kind of twisted but um yeah at the end of the day i, I was I was the only one who they could really do anything to and, and take any, you know, action against. So. Thanks for, for clarifying that. That's, that's a really important point that there's, there's a value. That, I mean, we're, we're in an interesting position, right. And on the Paralympic mm -hmm. side and, and really on the Olympic side as well, but on the Paralympic side more so that, that it's kind of what you do as a competitor, but then it's also as much about the story that you have that attaches to what you're doing as a competitor. And how do you, how do you look at it? Like, what's, what's your job? <laughs> have fun. That's my job. Uh, no, I don't, I don't really know. I, I wouldn't say that I put myself in one area. I mean, 
Um, I kind of have my hand in a lot of different buckets and I, I think my job is like making sure that I'm, I'm taking care of the things that need to get done and making sure that I'm putting, you know, myself and Tara in a, in a position where, you know, we're taken care of and we don't have to worry about, you know, the things, maybe the smaller things or, or the financial things where we can focus more on, you know, being the best athletes we can be and, and uh, making the most of, of the time that, you know, we get to spend here. Right, exactly. But how does it, how does it affect how you, how you divide your time? How you divide your time as far as like, this is when I get to compete. I mean, you're talking to me right now mm-hmm. in the middle of your season, in yeah. the middle of, of being at the, at the NCAA champion or at the NCAA nationals, you know, so it's like, you've got a lot of stuff going on. How do you balance the social media, the training, the competing, the traditional media? I don't know if we call this traditional media or not, but yeah. It's, it's I think it's <laughs> yeah it's very sporadic it's it's kind of a circus so um for me like I think the biggest thing is I just have a really great team surrounding me at this point who kind of um make sure that you know I'm taking care of the things that need to get done and and the miscellaneous things that maybe I don't have the time for like they're making sure that those things are taken care of and I don't have to stress about them and I can focus on big picture what needs to be done and for me like I work in a very unstructured way where it's like, okay, what needs to get done today? All right, let me get those things done. And that's just kind of how I, I take it as day by day. And there's, there's a little bit of planning in there, but I'm more of a fly by the seat of my pants kind of guy. And just, you know, if I've learned one thing in my life, it's just that un, unexpected things happen and you can't prepare for everything. So um, I really just try to make the most of whatever's happening in, at, the, at the moment. And whenever I have spare time, like, Hey, how can I, how can I feel this time? And I, in a, uh, you know, productive way. And do you, like with the social media stuff, is that something that sort of happens organically that you think, oh, this is a great thing to do, we can make it happen? Or do you have to, you know, do you have to script it? Do you have to think about it beforehand? How does, how does that work for you? I'm asking even just, I'm asking for myself because I find it to be a challenge. Yeah, for me, I think it's it's a very like, I guess it depends on, on kind of how you want to, you know, be perceived or how you want, you know, your content and the stuff you're putting out uh, to be seen. And for me, like, I always really want it to come across as genuine and organic. So I don't often go to the scripted or, or really um, structured way of creating things. It's more of like, Hey, I have an idea and then let me run with that. And um, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm not planning out what I'm doing, but uh, I think in a lot of ways, the more I plan, the more I like structure something out, the more it becomes less unique and less me. Rather, if I'm really just in a creative space and I'm, I'm starting with one thing, it usually leads into another. And I say, oh, that was a really great idea. Now we should try doing this. Uh, and then just kind of, you know, learning and getting better and some things do really well and some things don't. You kind of just got to, you know, figure out what, what sticks, I guess. So are you, are you better? I mean, it's funny, you're talking about your race and you were talking about that, that the start was your biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. But in the storytelling, it sounds like you go with the start, the what if, you know, what if we did this and, and then you run with it? Do you have an idea of where the finish is going to be when you start? Uh, not always, it just kind of depends. So um, yeah, usually it just starts with one idea and then um, or, or you'll start with the finish. So a lot of times, like on YouTube, some of our more popular videos have been me like going to surprise Tara in a creative way. And it's like, all right, I know what the final solution is, which is, hey, I need to go surprise Tara. And it's like, all right, now how am I going to do it? 
Um, so just kind of depending on what it is, you're either working backwards or forwards. And um, like I said, it's just one of those things. If I just had one cookie cutter way to structure everything, like none of what I do would work. Like I, I, I'm, I'm operating in a very just sporadic, probably unoriginal way, but very original, I guess. Very original. It seems like it's yeah. working, right? I mean, it's working and, and, and the two of you just bought a house too, right? Yeah, so I bought a house and Tara will be, be moving here um, after the Olympics, hopefully, and then it'll be our house. So, yeah, it's Where is that? Uh, it's in Fayetteville. So it kind of came about in a weird way. Tara was in town one weekend and, and we've kind of built roots in Fayetteville and we've been looking at properties kind of all over, but Fayetteville is kind of our base right now. And we're like, hey, let's, let's go house shopping. And so we went and looked at some different properties and obviously the market's crazy, but we found one that we just really, you know, fell in love with and felt like it could, you know, be a place for, you know, really being creative and, and feeling like we, we have a place so we could start our lives. And um, yeah, and now we're, now we're here. I think I got confused by one of the, one of the videos. I was watching a video and I saw you at what I thought might've been your house, but then there was snow around. Was that, that wasn't in Fayetteville, I'm assuming. No, that was, that was when the crazy like Texas storms came through. So there was snow in Fayetteville. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was really, really weird. And there's no, there's no like snowblowers or anything in Fayetteville. So it was, it was rough. But yeah, we made you grew it. up in Utah where it's like you get a foot of snow and nobody really cares about it. You get an inch yeah. in Fayetteville and it's going to close the place down for it. Everything for shuts down. Yeah. What's the, what's the story that you were, that you're telling? I mean, you're telling so many different stories in so many different ways, right? I mean, you're telling your story as an athlete, you're telling your story via social media, you're telling your story via via the media. What's the story that, that you're getting across and who's the audience for that? I think the audience is whoever wants to listen. I think that's the, like, the special thing about social media is like no one has to, to pay attention to stuff they don't want to. You kind of choose and and kind of facilitate what you want to watch. And, and for me, that's always been like, me being as like original as organic and genuine as I can be and then whoever kind of connects with me in that way and, and you know um brings some value into their life from the things I'm saying is kind of the, the the people who end up being that intended audience and and for me I think you know picking out one certain section of an audience would be really counterproductive to you know who I am and, and just like kind of the inclusive nature that, that I like to um go by which is you know, okay I'm, I'm I'm just here. I'm a people person. So whoever's willing to kind of hang out and listen to me be goofy, it's, it's, it's all I'm about. Well, the inclusive part really is important, isn't it? I mean, this idea of, of we're all kind of in this together and if you're willing to be honest and vulnerable and goofy, maybe, maybe you have an easier time connecting with people. And, but it also just seems like that's just organic to who you are, though, too. Yeah, exactly. And, and like you said, there's, there's so many different, you know, kind of areas and places where my, my story is sharing or I'm kind of showing parts of my life. And it's like keeping up some persona or trying to be someone I'm not or any of these things is going to catch up to me really quickly. It's hard to kind of like keep everything consistent when you're all over the place. So um, really for me, the only way to make it all work is like, hey, I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to say the things I want. I'm going to do the things I want. And, and if, if somebody likes it, like, there we go. Like, it's, that's kind of the, the formula. So, is it, is it equal, like, telling your story, the, the social media side, and then being on the track 
is there one that you say, you know, this is where I really feel like who I am or, or is it the same for both of them? I feel like they all kind of, you know, make up a different part of, of who I am. And, and for me, like my coach has taught me something really important in college, which is just like to compartmentalize what you're doing. And, and that's basically meaning like whatever you're doing at that time, make sure you're putting a hundred percent of your focus in on that one thing. So when I'm on the track, I'm not worrying about, you know, the social media or the businesses or any of those things. Like I'm focusing just on track and, and likewise, like, and maybe those things are intertwined. Like maybe we're making a social media post about the track, but at the end of the day, like you're still putting in focus a hundred percent of, of your time, energy and effort into that one thing. And rather than trying to focus on, you know, six things all at the same time. So um, I think I would also go crazy if I just had one of them, you know, I think it's like, you know, they kind of act as, as a balancing act to, to keep me sane. So. Which is really important. This idea of staying sane. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> because it's really hard as a, as an athlete. I mean, there are times that it's so easy to get stuck in a bad, you know, a bad workout, a bad competition, whatever it is. And, and to have something else to have an outlet that allows you to to have fun because sometimes the fun sometimes it seems like it's supposed to be work right yeah work hard in order to be successful and it's really easy to lose the fun part so Mm -hmm. what's what's next for you how 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 is your schedule going to work between now and what is it august 25th um yeah i mean for me, like the main focus is Tokyo and everything else is just, uh, you know, a different stepping stone to get there. So, um, you know, right now, like I'm really focused on um, just progressing on, on my training and the cycle and making sure it's good. So uh, just different meets, running meets, and then the rest of it kind of just, like I said, a, a need to be done basis. And then when things come up, they need to get done, like and make sure they get completed. And then focus goes back to competing while Tokyo so how what kind of events are you able to run in because I know you'll be at trials the Paralympic trials in in Minneapolis what the 16th through the 20th of of June right so Mm -hmm. that has to be one that's that's high on your list but what other kinds of meets will you be able to run in I mean it's still such a weird year pandemic yeah yeah, there's there's a whole lot of different meets. I mean, the track the track world is is so weird. Everyone's having a different meet somewhere. So um, this year there's a lot of like USATF meets, um, American Track League, which is really you know started you know, kind of popping off and doing well this year. Um, hopefully, going to get into some Diamond League meets overseas. Uh, so it's really kind of all over, and, and it's kind of a you know you kind of schedule on the fly. It's not like you kind of lay out your entire schedule at one time and then you go from there. So it's a little different, but we just kind of you know, go as we go. And, and hopefully I'll be competing at some of the same meets as Tara this summer. So we're hoping to, to travel together and compete together. Oh, that would be awesome. Is it yeah. hard for you to get into like a diamond meet, a diamond league event? Uh, it just depends. So like London is having a diamond league event and there's a para section in that one. So that one will be really easy to get in um, where there's not a para section and, and there's only a certain amount of lanes. It becomes a lot more difficult, but it just depends. Okay. So with that, that's that's part of your progression, though, and I'd imagine I'd imagine part of the motivation in getting to some of these meets is getting a chance to see where you are, how yeah. you're working out, what your what your preparation is like, how you stack up with some of these other people. 
Yeah, definitely. I think in college, like you have your whole meet schedule set up, you have everything set up. Um, so it's very easy. Whereas the pro meets, like you never know how many you're going to, you don't know when you're going to be racing. So that's uh, kind of one of those things where it's, you got to really make it count. You got to really, you know, make the most of it because you don't know when you're going to have That is awesome. Well, this is, this is great. I mean, I, I'm super happy that you've been able to make the time for us to, to get a chance to talk. It's helpful for me. I'll be talking about you while you're, while you're racing at the trials and, and then in Tokyo, hopefully, which I'm assuming you probably should have a pretty good chance of making it to Tokyo, but- uh, Hoping so. Yeah, thanks for sharing your story with us, but then also thank you for sharing your story with everybody. I mean, it's really cool as a Paralympian, it's really cool to, to be able to see somebody getting exposure that, that comes to you, but then also comes to the Paralympics as well and, and helps it to become a bigger and bigger event that it's something that casual people can talk about on the street and go, have yeah. you seen this guy Hunter? You know, you've got to yeah. check him out. He's going to be on TV. We've got to check it out. So yeah. That's great. No, it's really great. That's I think that's that's everyone's goal. Hopefully, at this point, you know, with the Paralympics and the movement that's behind it. So, I'm just blessed and thankful to even be a part of it. And thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been a great time. Well, I appreciate it. Look forward to meeting you in person. And thank you to all of you who who took the time to hang out with us. If you didn't get to see the whole thing, it'll be on the One Revolution page on Facebook. We will edit this eventually and it'll be on YouTube. It'll be on Spotify and Apple. The greatest compliment that you can pay to us, the two greatest compliments are that if you like what we're doing, tell your friends and, and also uh, like and follow us. So thank you all. Thank you, Hunter. Best of luck and look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, guys. All right.